What up, Dogalos? It is your primo host, your prime, your number one documenteers host, Bob Sham. Welcome to the Documenteers, the podcast about documentary films where we discuss and review documentary films under the Herzog rating scale. This episode, Johnny and I are wrapping up the three-part Penelope Spheres series with The Decline of Western Civilization, part three. We're talking about the crust punks, also known as gutter punks or squat punks. There's a lot that's similar with this one in regards to the other Decline movies, but then it takes a very different, more personable turn. The sad one, you might say, but not all the way sad. Maybe, well, a small current of sad all the way in with spots of a lot of sad. In this episode, when Johnny and I recorded our session to do this, something occurred. It was the first ever recording crisis here at the Shamco Studios. Shamco Studio is is in a evolutionary phase. We're slowly updating and we had uh, some technical difficulties and I had to scramble to get to record our session. But so I sound a little bit extra and Johnny, you know, sounds like he's on a Skype call. Not unlike uh, many of the early, early uh, documentaries episodes, but it's in the spirit of that punk DIY ethos. So if it's going to happen, let it happen on one of the the third decline of Western civilization. And you can hear everything fine, so I adjusted it the best I could. It's punk, baby, right? Am I right? Contact us on social media if you're, uh, if you're lame like us. At uh, Documenteers on Twitter, Instagram. You can like our Facebook page. Contact me directly at documenteerspodcast at gmail.com. One thing that you can help us better than money. We don't want your money. We want five stars and a review on iTunes. Yes, please, please do that. And I know there are a lot of reviews that have not popped up, but for some reason, iTunes reviews will pop up on this other site, like podcast reviews or something. So I'm seeing what people are sending there, even though from my end, they don't seem to show up on iTunes. All you can do is just keep them coming. I don't get what's fucking going on. It takes enough for me just to be able to put these out for you each and every week god i learned so much every week too just for you today we're getting into the la streets the alleys the gutters the abandoned houses so let's get to this film the decline of western civilization part three by penelope spheris keep on docking now here is a motion picture film a thousand feet sixteen thousand separate photographs Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. Did you see the first decline when it came out? Yeah. Not when it came out. I didn't see it right when it came out, but I've seen it. How old were you right when it came out? I wasn't born yet. I got born in 80. <laughs> and the world hasn't been the same since. Uh-uh. make sure we make an SNL reference because in the first two episodes of the Decline series, we made SNL references. So we got to make sure there's an SNL reference somewhere in here. Like from the time that, from the time that Fear appeared on SNL and got accused of like breaking a $3 trillion microphone. (laughs) We did discuss that in Decline 1. And in Decline 2, one of the drummers for this band called Odin, like a glam metal band, (laughs) 
Kind of looked like Bobby Moynihan. That was the band with the with the singer that had the assless chat. One dude had his ass out. Was, yeah, yeah. I yeah, think that okay. was Odin. Yeah, that was. That and was um, and uh, what else? Uh, he looked like Bobby Moynihan. Of course, Penelope Spears directed Wayne's World. Swing, swing, tentpole. <laughs> That's true. Which Ginger reminded me. I totally forgot about that. So we got to make sure we do an SNL reference. Do you, did you grow up watching SNL? Some, yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen plenty. Throw out a reference. Go ahead. It's going to take me a second. I mean, what about obviously, Google Making copies. I don't think I know that one. Making no. copies. I was, I, I'm sorry. Oh, the Rob Schneider classic. Oh, God. He'd be the guy in the office. What, what did he get turned into before he made that? He always gets turned into something. Um, he gets turned into women. He gets turned into... An animal. An animal. A manimal animal, yeah. man. But now he's just turned into a bitter old comic. So basically he's a comic. Yeah. I can't say the N-word anymore. Why do colleges keep kicking me out? You know, there is there is this thing with older comedians now where they're talking about how sensitive everyone is. Everyone's so sensitive. But, you, you they know... They can't take a joke. To some degree... I think people are like maybe a little too sensitive, but these old comedians, that is now the excuse for why any of their jokes don't hit. Oh yeah. It's not because they're losing their touch. Or maybe that joke just wasn't that funny. It's not because they're punching down instead of like speaking truth <laughs> to power. It's definitely because right. it's because everyone's just, so sensitive. Everyone's so sensitive. Well, Bill Maher's show, what was it? Uh, almost called it politically incorrect. He hasn't had that show in over 20 years. Uh, real time. Yeah, I was rolling my eyes. Yeah, and I've thought of Bill Maher. I've, uh, as much as I've criticized that show, I've watched it like for a long time. And every time he tells a joke and no one, because his audience are like liberals, even though he makes okay, fun yeah, of liberals. Yeah, yeah. Every time he tells a joke that doesn't land, he's like, oh, come on, liberals. You're so <laughs> sensitive. And it's like, no, dude, we heard the joke. It just wasn't funny. And sometimes he makes this sound like, pff, pff. what? I mean, I get it. We're not all perfect speakers. But neither is Bill Maher. Fair enough. Fair but enough. Bill, sometimes it's not the sensitivity of the audience. You basically talk, tell jokes like a dirtier Jay Leno. And maybe that just isn't holding up as well as it did in 1995. That seems to be a big problem. I'm friends. My The bass player in my band was a touring comic for quite some time. I was like, is there anyone like Andy Kaufman? Would he still be considered good? Yeah. He might be, you know. Like a lot of the classic comics, they might still be considered good, but... A lot of a lot of comedy has to do with breaking new ground. And so the people who are still doing the same old routine are doing something that's been around for at least 15 years, and it's old hat now. I think there is a... And they're blaming it on... I feel like uh, there is a level of comedy now that has... Um, when everything is steeped in like some pop culture narrative, everything is in reference to something else. Yeah. Everyone's coming up with a podcast to talk about things that they didn't make, and I'm sick of it. That's... Dude... Too many voices out there. But doesn't it feel like you could go in front of a stage now and be like, hey, Super Mario Brothers, right? And half the crowd's going to be like, woo, I love that stuff. <laughs> I mean, I guess. I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to follow you here. I don't know. Ultimately, I, I just want to laugh. And, I mean, and, and for my case, you can be a little offensive, I guess. But we'll just see how it balances out. If you're afraid of saying something, here's what I say. Say it. If you got the nuts, you just accept what happens after you say it. <laughs> Fair enough. And I mean, is anyone really stopping you from saying what you want? I mean, really? Um, Unless you, you know, want to call apparently soy milk milk now. Did you hear about this? 
No, who the, did that? The dairy industry, I'm paraphrasing a lot here, uh, oh. but the dairy industry was like, we don't want things that aren't dairy to be called milk anymore. And the paid off politicians are like, sure, dairy industry. They also got a huge payout because sure, people aren't buying as much milk as they used to, but that industry needs to be propped up with some corporate welfare. So so freedom of speech and that might be suppressed when it comes to the <laughs> almond milk industry. Yeah. However, what you're saying is, when it comes to comics, I've been I've been thinking about this a lot, and in regards to Roseanne, in regards to that one dude who was involved with Guardians of the Galaxy, I forget his name. Oh, James Gunn. That might be a different scenario since I would he say has so. apologized and changed his ways. And well, she did too. She cried, Johnny. Remember? She cried. They cry every time they get caught doing something. I don't care. The well, dude who started Unite the Right cried. James Gunn was a trauma director. Back in the day, he oh, he was coming off of he was coming off of that aesthetic, and they kind of went I mean, after. You're talking him. about like the dirty B movie VHS yeah. collection trauma. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he hit it big, and right. I think he got busted on for a tweet that wasn't funny from nine years ago. I personally don't think it really compares to just being outright racist. Like Roseanne Barr. You There's know? a lot of misconceptions about the First Amendment. Let's put it like this: You said something now. Did the did the following things happen after you said something? Did the government, whether it be local, state, or federal, grab you and imprison you? No. Did they force you in any way with any fines or anything? Which, I guess if you're on the radio following FCC guidelines, maybe. <laughs> right, uh, but right, I would right. argue that the FCC just doesn't really need to exist. But that's a whole separate thing. But, yeah, did the government actively suppress you if that did not happen then the first amendment is intact right absolutely and a business and guess what i disagree that corporations are people but now that we have deeply established that they are by the supreme court they as people can decide that if you are representing them falsely within their organization they can just get rid of you just the same way any company absolutely. can fire you in the case of you know guardians of the galaxy and I don't know how this ties into Decline 3. We'll get there. <laughs> it doesn't at all. <laughs> but in the case of in the case of the uh, Steve Gun Steve Gun? James okay. Gunn. In the case of who's Steve Gunn? It's a good question. I think he's a musician. I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> I'm sure there's a Steve Gunn out there somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. I'm sorry, Steve, whoever you are. <laughs> yeah. Um, In the case of James Gunn, it was probably more profit than anything to get rid of him. You think so? Usually, yeah. It's the same thing Cornell West said about Roseanne Barr, that they knew who Roseanne was. They knew what she's done in the past. Yeah. She's always been a... they were not willing to besmirch their reputation, so... They knew she was a problem. They were willing to hire a problem until she became a public problem, hmm. if that makes sense. I think she legit has a personality disorder of some type, too. I mean, I'm not a psychiatrist. Even if I was, it would be unethical to categorize somebody without them being your patient. But she, I, for years, she's been, like, weird and said random shit. Right. And now she's, like, older and just gone off that whole uh, shitty, shitty relative at the Thanksgiving table, Roseanne. Now we're in that phase of it. But that original Roseanne show, one of all-time greats. So speaking of people going off the deep end, The Decline of Western Civilization, Part 3. Part 3 by Penelope Spheres. Part 1, we did it with uh, Ginger. Those early L.A. punk scenes. Mm, I love the germs more than I should. Yeah. <laughs> the Part really 2, do. we gave a good ode to the germs on that episode. Good, good. Part 2, the the metal years, the glam metal explosion in Los Angeles. We did that with Stuart. Considered the funniest one in the mm -hmm. series. And Stuart and I did have a lot of fun recording that it's one. It's fucking hilarious. 
But this one, part three, probably the sad one. What do you call oh, it the sad one? Dude, I stopped taking notes about halfway through just because their stories were so heavy that it just, I, I knew I was going to remember it. This movie starts off the way a, a lot of the other Decline movies do. It's introing some bands you're going to see. Mm-hmm. It's doing some interviews next to a light bulb of I, some kids in the scene. I that, did see that throwback to the first one. And then they do the disclaimer on stage that's really snide and sarcastic. The first decline, I knew most of those bands. The second decline, I knew like two. This one, I didn't know any of these bands. These were some, at the time, like mid-90s crust punk bands that I know nothing about. Would you even consider them crust? That's the thing that I'm, I'm unsure of what to do with this with this episode of Decline because well, the crusts we... I knew were like dirty and had dreads and had patches sewn all over their jeans and but... everything they knew had turned brown because of all the dirt. That seems like a lot of people were seeing in this movie. It was, but they had these, you know, these mohawks and the yeah. and all Liberty the... Spikes. Yeah. Maybe it was just the 90s. Maybe that was a different time because I came around the punk scene around late 90s, early 2000s. Can you imagine what that warehouse smelled like? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I can. I mean, I've I've slept in a room with five crust punks before, and it's rough nightly. About halfway through this movie, Penelope realizes it's not as much about those musical scenes, but about these kids and their lives and what they're doing. Oh, it absolutely. And there's a lot of production in the first two declines, and there's a little bit in this one. But it seems like a lot of the movie is heard hanging in apartments squats in apartments with these kids while they just party if you're following a bunch of homeless punk rockers around you don't really want to draw too much attention to yourself so having several cameras and a boom mic Mm -hmm. while they're digging shit out of dumpsters is probably gonna get them beat up by somebody probably a cop I, i i believe she pretty much made and released this with her own money so okay. like all that Wayne's World money and maybe I don't know if the client ever profited for her. I mean, at this point it was almost 20 years, 15, 20 years. And a lot of these kids that she's interviewing, some of them were very tiny. And then I realized the events in this take place in what, like 1996 to 1997. These kids are my age and you're just a few years younger than me, essentially our age. How and- young were they at the time? They must have been babies. Like, there were the two kids that had met in N.A. Uh, they were, like, 16 and 15, I believe. Well, it wasn't... 15 squ- years old. It wasn't Squid and the other girl, was no, it? No, no. It was the two young guys. 15 years old, and they met at N.A. Because this film is dedicated to Squid and Stephen Chambers, which we'll discuss why it's dedicated to them later. One of the first lines was, where were you whenever the first decline came out? Did you see it whenever it came out? He was like, I wasn't even born when it came out. This one kid said that he was an abortion that couldn't get paid for. (laughs) There's a lot of snideness here. I feel kind of bad because I feel like I'm being very judgmental because I'm sure there's a lot of these kids that are kind of forced into the streets. There's Addiction is a huge problem in this and all the Decline series. Sometimes there's one or two and it's like, you can't all have the exact same story. There's got to be like... A couple of you that are like, I'm just volunteering to be homeless. There's always those kids running around. Sometimes they want to travel and have adventures, and sometimes they want to understand how the homeless live so they can help out later. I knew quite a few of those people, and they didn't they didn't stay out there, you know? No, no. 
And there were there were also people who were considered trustafarians who had the dreads but had a trust fund. I wish I had a trust fund. I think it becomes a blanket statement for the entire gutterpunk community, and I don't think it's totally. I, don't know, I, I just I, I don't think it's totally fair to put it on all of them. No, it's impossible. I mean, a lot of these. I mean, regardless of where a lot of these kids come from, they are alcoholics and often drug addicts. So regardless of where they came from, they're fucked right now. Oh, absolutely. And in a hole that they've got to like try to sarcastically party out of. And no matter where they come came from, something drove them to that life. One of my favorite parts of this movie is that it's full of that 90s adolescent snottiness that oh, I remember God, so much. Oh, yeah. The kids are in line to go see one of the bands that are featured, and they're like, yeah, we're here to see Green Day, Woo-hoo! which they were... <laughs> Which was a sarcastic statement because, Johnny, they're too fucking cool for Green Day. All right? <laughs> the bands that we that are featured in this movie are Final Conflict. <laughs> Naked Aggression. The Resistance. <laughs> and Litmus Green. God, yeah, fucking shit, my lord, you don't mean nothing to me. Do you know any of those bands? I do not. Me either. And all these bands are very political. In the first decline, some bands were political and some bands were just, let's just be train wrecks. And certain punks had different positions. And it seems like that the punk scene now is like a lot tighter. And the best thing about it is that it's more diverse. In the early decline movies, there's a lot of sexism and racism that just would keep popping their heads up through the oh, movie. absolutely. And one credit you can give to this movie is that there's a lot less of that amongst these these kids than there were in the first two declined series. I wish someone would have at least given a nod to Crass. I know that's probably not like yeah. Penelope didn't seem to just throw things in there that she thought would be relevant. She just documented what happened. But, you know, once once Crass came along, which was started by an old hippie and then a reformed skinhead. The traditional non-racist kind. Yeah. And, you know, singing about any sort of social justice thing they could possibly imagine. That's kind of fueled the punk scene since then. That It's interesting watching the egalitarian ethos of punk. Mm-hmm start to grow as time goes on it's i feel like even in the 90s you can see it starting to live up to its own values yeah if that makes any sense like yeah there was there were trans people there were gay people in the original new york scene and also in england but they still had to deal with a lot of the same well people of color as well like polystyrene i am a cliche x-ray specs One of the great punk bands. Absolutely. They had to deal with a lot of uh, animosity and a lot of slurs being thrown around. And you can see with, you know, the lead singer of Litmus Green, he's singing a song called Clear, uh, Queer Thoughts and crowd is just shouting it right along with them. He's the one with the drollet, right? I think so. The dread mullet. Yeah. Yeah. It's like punk concentrate. Like the scene has gotten tighter and smaller, but it's like a concentrate. I gotta say, I don't like the music as much. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel... really don't. I mean, the, the message is 
Okay. Politically with these kids most yeah. of the way. I'm not going to remember any of this. We also talked to, speaking of, well, going to the old punkers, Keith Morris. Yes. Appears. He's in the Circle Jerks, the original singer of Black Flag. He's got those white man dreads, which we know that when white people do dreads, it looks like they came in their hand and wiped it in their hair. There is that, and... Apparently back then there wasn't the issue of cultural appropriation that was, I mean, it was definitely there. I'm sure it was there, but it's become the idea that we should be a lot more careful before we take styles from other cultures. It's become more widespread, so I don't know if those dreads would fly now. I've always wondered that. I'm pretty sure Keith Morris still has these dreads. Okay. I think it's debatable. I'm sure there were some Celts out there with some long-ass dreads. There is. My only point is, and it's not even in a cultural co-opting thing, because as far as American culture goes, I think we can all kind of share it most of the time. I mean, I think that's the best part of America, if you allow me to get real patriotic randomly for no reason sure, why the fuck not is We're that decline three let's get patriotic i know a lot of people like to think that america is just one specific thing all the time but it's actually the world filtered through and that happens mm-hmm. more over time and as we go towards an ideology that becomes more and more realized unless you're just in your little gop bubble and only watch one cable channel gee what channel would that be stop watching cable news people yeah but who does that anyway you know what watches cable news yeah. No, I don't. The same, the same channel all the time. <laughs> Living in a GOP bubble. <laughs> no. I don't know anybody like that. Okay, so Keith Morris. He has come here. Uh, he does. Okay. That's yes. what my cousin and I call it, come here, when white people have dreads. Those take so much work. He says I've that ki- <laughs> kids now have more reasons to be upset. And punk rock, it isn't meant to be a beautiful thing. Penelope asked, do you think things have gotten uglier or worse since then they said well they certainly haven't gotten any more beautiful litmus green performs when the singer's really laying it on pointing there's a lot of laying it on with this was he waving around a bone at some point like a giant bone in his hand that was an interesting move yeah i'm not sure what was going on there but he had the draw it he did have the, the draw it come here mullet we meet a club owner i think his name was or is the club called his eye? did you get this club owner's name because it's a theme in Decline that we meet club owners as well. Ezrat Salomon, I believe his name. But he's been running this club for about nine years, and he's he's very matter-of-fact about it and almost seems kind of charmed by these kids often. He talks about how they, they don't seem to like to dance the way other people dance. Talking about the pogo. In the which, way they dance, quote, doesn't look like a dance. Right. I wrote here... Quote, they like blood. They like blood. We realized over time that if you leave them alone, they know the rules. He seemed to think that for the most part, the crowd regulates itself. They have their own unspoken rules. What looks to you like they're beating the fuck out of each other actually just looks like they might just be having fun. But when someone steps out of line, they do something about it. And they talk about the different groups within these scenes. They're the, the sharps. They mentioned the sharps. Skinheads against racial prejudice. And one guy's talking about how it's like, they, they're all right. They're starting to turn into a roving gang then of course you got the actual skinheads always seem to kind of be wandering around the backgrounds of these scenes but a lot of kids that we talk to in this movie they talk about times that they got their ass beat by groups of people either either sharps or actual nazis we see another band called final conflict and they talk about the oppressor that is organized religion Take your money 
bring it down! I've gotta say, this this might be I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm in good company here being a southern kid. All of us almost all of us grew up going to church at on some level, right? Yeah. And a lot of us grew up with a shit ton of indoctrination. Mm-hmm. Especially myself being a pastor's kid, right? Some of it I've kept, some of it I have not. A lot of it I have not. Most of it I have not. I wrote down here Final Conflict's take on religion is pretty fucking basic. Really seems like he's He's on to some stuff, like what he's talking about really does happen, but he doesn't know his enemy. There is an evangelical political presence out there that had been going on pretty strong back then and is going on very strong now and is ignoring a lot. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just disillusioned with punk rock lyrics because most of the time they're so basic, so straightforward. Not known for that, being subtle. Well, they're not known for being subtle, and they do seem to recycle a lot of terminology. I'm usually not a fan of how things are put. Yeah. In 90s punk rock songs especially, I tend to think that I grew up in the worst era of punk rock. I feel that way, too. I mean, a lot of the stuff I like is from when I was very small and wouldn't listen to that stuff, you know? Or new bands now. Finding that niche band that will that will fill a club of 50 capacity. <laughs> But these kids are talking about how they don't fit in. They have no real family. They don't hang out much. We get another litmus green performance. There's this one kid. He talks about how he hates cops. And this kid, we're kind of bouncing around a little bit, but he talks about how he's robbed people and stuff. And this kid, he has an M tattooed on the side of his face. You know what's interesting about that? For now, I'm a comic. I love, I've grown up loving comics. There's a character. His name is Bishop. He's an X Man character. X Men from the future and he has an M over his eye just like that guy had so above his eyebrow and the two side lines go all the way down his face yeah it's an it's an M which is supposed to stand for mutant Oh. and on the other side of this kid's face he had dots and they were forming like this now I'm just keeping with the X-Men theme X-Men I assume this dude was going on with but the dots on the other side of his face outlined what Magneto's helmet outline would look like circles out and then goes straight down that's how I interpreted his tattoos they looked like X-Men theme tattoos X-Men but this guy is also presented as maybe one of the more dangerous crust punks shown in this documentary. Oh, it seems like he has, he's not someone you want to run into when you're traveling. I don't think he'd look after you. And also he's a mutant from the future. And we don't even know where their standards lie culturally at Fair all. Fair enough. Absolutely. It could be a total, it could have devolved into social Darwinism. X-Men. Nate, uh, they talk to a cop. Penelope asks, do you ever make fun of them? Tries to be diplomatic about it, but you can tell that he's just done with these kids. <laughs> Naked Aggression performs. There's a lot of stories about kids interacting with cops. There's a lot of cops can suck my dick. They're so Mm -hmm. corrupt. Tell a story about a a cop put a phone book over one of the kids' face and took the baton and whacked the phone book while it was pressed against their face so they could fuck him up a little bit. That sounded so real. You could tell he wasn't making that up because because if he was going to lie, he would just say he got cracked in the face with a baton. But the detail of the he put a phone book over my head, that's just not a made-up detail right there. Oh, no. One kid talks about 
how a cop stole his jacket. Naked Aggression. We go to Naked Aggression's house, kind of in the theme of how we went to X's house in the first decline. Oh, right. And she was showing us our, uh, she was showing us her very enviable collection of religious tracts. Chick Tracks. Which we mentioned, Ginger and I mentioned in Good. that episode. You know when Chick Tracks come up, Johnny, that I gotta point that Dude, out. Dude, every Southern kid can spot that from a mile away. It's just... I might get too excited about them. People are like, do you know what's in those? I'm like, yes! <laughs> the Pope is in there uh, with devil horns somewhere. <laughs> we go to the home of Naked Aggression. They all have different jobs. Kirsten is the singer of Naked Aggression. She's very politically motivated. A lot of these kids, they all are linked into these issues. What do you call it? I call it like the burden of knowing, right? Where you kind of see between the lines. You see the glue become undone in the mm. seams. But now it's like, what do you do about it? And you can kind of make your choices in this capitalistic society to get one thing, but it's hard. It's extremely hard to avoid any and all things. But at some point, it's like, what do you do? And I think a lot of the solution for a lot of these kids is let's drink ourselves blind. Absolutely. Um, I noticed that naked, that naked aggression, uh, the lead singer, Kirsten, uh, was a classically trained wait, violinist, or did she play the cornet? I want to say cornet, if I'm remembering okay. right. Yeah, she, she played the cornet. She obviously went to college, right? Yeah. Which meant she probably had the means to do so through mm -hmm. herself or through her family, you know? Probably has familial support. And you can tell that a lot of the people in Naked Aggression, this is not a bad thing, but it seemed like they had more support growing up than the kids we're about to talk about. Spoon. Hamburger. Fucking hamburger is my... Your I bro, hamburger. So, oh, God, he was so great. <laughs> hamburger apparently passed away around 2000, I believe. But yeah, the other people in Naked Aggression, they have jobs. One works at a dry cleaner. Mm -hmm. One's a pizza guy. The other works in an auto shop, like works on cars. The bands are not really as crusty as a lot of the kids that Penelope will focus more on. You can't so, while touring and lugging around equipment. It's almost impossible. And there has to be some level of organization to kind of make something like that work back to the crust punks not the ones in bands but they need to make money somehow to feed their alcoholism and they do a thing where they'll go down like walk around hollywood and like take pictures with tourists just like how a guy dressed like spider-man would outside the chinese theater and they do panhandling this is where we see the guy who i'll call the mutant tattoo guy who we'll call him this is when he's talking about robbing and stealing and they're saying things like in hamburger is out on the streets saying I'm preventing crime. And then, you know, Spoon finishes a bottle of whiskey and throws it on the ground. And Squid's like, she needs a dollar for another one of those. And she's like, yeah, another one of those. <laughs> that was probably my favorite line. They're very conscious about how they intimidate random people and play it into a joke. They're tr they're both trying and not trying at the same time. Because it takes effort to be that present and that obnoxious. But at the same time, it's like, do you really even care if you're going to get that 40 at this point? These decline movies, they are a better anti-drug ad than anything that the the anti-drug council ever came up with. The singer from Mau Mau points out very obviously, drugs and alcohol can fuck your body up. Knowing about this dude from the Mau Mouse or person from the Mau Mouse? They look fucked up. He says that I wish I hadn't wasted so much time doing drugs. That's what I hear is when it 
comes down to people who are stuck in addictions of any kind. What they regret the most is wasted time. That you look back all of a sudden and over half your life is gone. And the thing about these drugs, Hollywood and TV, they paint this narrative like you're going to do something and then next week you're in the gutter. It doesn't really work like that. It's like a slow burn. Things aren't all going to fall away at once. It's going to trickle away and you're going to be so in deep. One by one, you'll be losing things and it could take years. It just depends on how much money you have, how long it's going to take. Fucking brutal. I forgot my train of thought and exactly where I was going with that. I don't know, but then you meet some guy who, well, I mean, they're all talking about their alcohol issues, right? You hear the one guy with the with the cup so he can just get a swig from anybody. She asks them when they start drinking. Boone says when the beer store opens, six o'clock. <laughs> Hamburger tells a story about how he almost drowned in the toilet the first time he drank. And then Penelope asks how old he was. He says three years old, like his dad and his uncle just plied him with booze because they thought it was funny. There's various abuse stories. A lot, a lot of kids talking about how they were beaten when they were growing up. And there was one question that Penelope asked one of the kids. What would you say to him right now if you could just say one thing? Hi. And they have a special guest appearance by they. This is how they present who this person is the ex bass player for fear. That's right. We're talking about none other than Flea. Flea, that's right. Flea shows up in this movie to present some context about homeless kids in Los Angeles. And I can't think of any other band that he's in other than Fear. Escaping me right now. Oh, Flea? Yeah. Yeah, it's just Fear. He's only ever been in Fear. Seen him ride some big waves in Surfer Magazine? Yeah, he shows up in movies sometimes. He was in The Big Lebowski. If anybody's looking for a bass player, hit Flea up. Yeah, I mean, Fear's broken up a long time ago, so I'm sure he's out of work. I can't think of anything else he's done. He was in that movie, Suburbia. It's by Penelope Spears, right? That's right. Good. I, I guess she's... In. She's friends with him. There's a lot of party footage. She's go she goes to these parties and they're all crammed in like mm. apartments. And there's one girl, she's got, she's showing off the cigarette burns on her arms and she points one out that looks pretty damn infected. Yeah, you gotta get the good one right there. <laughs> the one that is gonna get infected. Oh, Penelope has become, we talk about how she has this almost naive approach in the way she asks questions in all of these movies. And, and that kind of works because it forces the people in these scenes to kind of explain themselves mm -hmm. and not assuming that everything is just completely obvious which is actually a good tool for to have an educational documentary. And this one, it's almost like she's everyone's mom. I mean, it may just be when she made it. Yeah. I mean, what, Decline 2 was mid to late 80s? Yeah, uh, recorded in 86, 87. Okay, I mean, at this point, late 90s, and she could easily like any of them could be her kid i feel like she she has more of a more of a parental maternal thing going on for them well i know this movie definitely affected her in a way that the other ones did not and she told henry rollins in a later interview that the kids do go over 
to her house for dinner every now and then. Uh-huh. Still, she knows them. Homeless youth has become a big issue for her from her time making this footage. And apparently she met her boyfriend. I don't know if she's still with him. Evolved around the making of this movie. So Interesting. There was something about this movie and her experience in making it that really changed the course of how she wanted to help in her community. You can tell because, like you said, she does ask these naive questions, but this time it doesn't seem like an approach as much as she's legitimately saddened and shocked by what she sees around her. She was very young when she did one, probably around our age when she did number two. And, you know, she's, this is the mid-90s now, and she sees this kid, you know, like burning herself, worrying that it's going to get infected. She said, yeah, but that goes away. In 1979, she might have laughed. In 1996, she's like, oh God. Yeah, it's fucking terrifying. And whenever that one guy, I don't know if they really gave his name, but he was the guy who got kicked out of his house when he was nine. He burned the house down trying to light a heater because he was cold mm-hmm. and his mom kicked him out. He was he was sent out in the streets and he'd been there since then. And then there was that one guy who you could tell something had really stunted his development. She asked, you know, he was a bigger dude with a thin mohawk, very short. She asked him when he uh, when he started drinking and I'm pretty sure he said two years old. One of the kids said that it was put in their bottle, you know, which means that he's been drinking that long. He's never going to quit. Just fucking never going to quit. So she's seeing something that's far sadder than just middle-class kids trying to make it in the music industry in decline too you know who just have this dream of stardom that you know they're not going to reach or one where yeah they've had rough home life but she probably has her friends have she's Mm. she's used to talking about that this is something completely different penelope says to one of these kids that have an awful story whoa Whoa, what's up penelope spheres started dating eyeball wow the dude with the mohawk who had the who had the eye who always that always just seem to be looking straight at you. Oh, yeah, yeah. And whenever whenever anyone drew a cartoon of a punk, uh-huh. it was always that guy. Just imagine your 80s punk. Put that in your brain. I guarantee it's that guy. <laughs> One eye that's a little bit bigger than the other. He looks like he's always raising an eyebrow. He looks like he's always about to beat somebody up. He seems to be a pretty nice guy, but he sings a lot of songs about S&M. He's a sub. Eyeball makes breakfast in the hoarder house. Eyeball is the singer of the resistance. <laughs> They uh, apparently play at Gizmo's mom's house. Gizmo is in the band, and the mom is Margie. But it's like a hoarder house. Margie's house is a hoarder house. Mm -hmm. But it is nice that they kind of have this environment that they can go to, you know. Eyeball, yeah, he's the singer of The Resistance. And apparently he's still in the game, too. Eyeball talks about how once he was late for work, and and then he stopped and had to write a song, and he lost his job because he just had to write that song, bro. Good for him. And his band, The Resistance, was the only truly homeless gutter punk band in LA he claims they didn't have homes they just found each other by sending the word out or going to wherever they need to one of the band members describes how society is in decline and that there is an economic war coming yeah there is extreme class divides in this country but they're making it about small political divides to distract from the the economic that we're all just going to starve slowly absolutely we're completely malnourished but at least we burn those fucking libs am I right (laughs) Absolutely. Apparently, Eyeball works as a phone sex operator. Said he hates his job, but you got to make that money. I've always thought I'd be pretty good at it. Sure. Let's practice. Like, we, I could set up, like, a, a test. Be like, yeah, is your wiener out? Yeah, is your wiener hard? Yeah. Yeah. 
get all the phone sex jobs. I don't know, man. You're not really doing anything for me. Is your wiener stiff? That's what he's just learned. Let I'm me, straight. Let me pull down my neon jams, <laughs> but I'm going to keep my flip-flops on if that's okay. Come on, that's doing nothing for you? It's really not, Bobby. I am so sorry. I know you worked three years with me thinking I was gay, <laughs> but I'm here to tell you. Look, it wasn't like I always thought it. It was just... Every now and then? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Cool. We hear a story of a guy. I think his name is Darius. He's a black punk. We There are a few in this movie. Like we said, the punks in these times are much more diverse than we've seen them so far. It's probably the best quality about them. But Darius tells a sad story about a bad car wreck he was in. Two people died. Talks about how he wakes up and he's outside of the car. He was in the car and then he got thrown out of the car and he stands up, takes two steps and falls over. And then it's revealed, Penelope pulls the camera back he's in a wheelchair we don't see it up until that point Darius gets social security and like disability because he's in a wheelchair so he can rent an apartment and his apartment is the apartment that every other crust punk converges on Darius doesn't seem like a uh, seems like a man of few words and it's hard to say what he's thinking but he's surrounded by all these crust punks there's a girl passed out on the floor and everyone's riding on her everyone's like kind of trashing her too Penelope's yelling get the fuck up squid <laughs> She has a, an interesting relationship with Squid. Penelope's fully momming it, and she's focusing in on Darius because Darius, you don't know why he looks sad. It could be a myriad of reasons. For me, I maybe was projecting where where if I were in Darius's position, I'd be like, could everyone but one or two people get the fuck out of my apartment, please? Yeah, there's that. I mean, that whole, like, whatever I have, I'm going to share with you thing that seems to be prevalent in that community, at least among that, that group of kids. But then when one of them loses use of his legs and needs an apartment, so through, like you said, disability and help from his family he gets an apartment right and he desperately needs this to get along because you just can't be it's almost impossible to be homeless in a wheelchair yeah it's very challenging people try and they have a super rough go at it so they avoid it if they can but there's people puking in the bathtub mm -hmm. puking in the sink because the toilet's backed up. Okay, my best friend has a cerebral palsy. She uses a wheelchair. She's super, super, super independent, but when you have to think about that, it takes you a lot longer to do housework. Darius would not be able to unclog a toilet nearly as quickly as most of us would be able to, you know? He has to think of the logistics of actually getting in that tub to scoop all the puke out. I guess throw it in the toilet that he just unclogged. That could be a task that takes all day. It looks like Darius would have trouble just rolling to the bathroom without running over three passed out crust punks. <laughs> or beer bottles. <laughs> if I remember correctly, I think Penelope raises a question of, or she asks Darius if she thinks that people appreciate him. And everyone's like, yeah, we appreciate him. We appreciate him a whole hell of a lot more Love than he thinks than we do. Know, Darius. Yeah, man. I mean, we take, 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 take. And there is that whole shared society thing. Mm -hmm. I think the thing about a shared society thing, though, is that it's actually hard fucking work yeah. to have like a real communal living where everyone is playing an important part and that's not even needing to say that everyone has to do the exact same thing because truly every part that people have to play is is challenging but this dude he just has an apartment and 
maybe two friends bring them the beer. Other than that, it's just people like <laughs> shit loaded. It's not really living. Yeah, I wish she would have asked who was going to clean up his bathroom later. If someone was going to stay and do that, maybe they did. It wouldn't fucking surprise me if Penelope cleaned it. Penelope probably fucking Because it, it sounds like she's at this point in her life where she's cleaning the fucking bathroom. She's already really wanting, you can tell she's wanting to take these kids on her way. Going back to the sharing society, it seems like they were willing to share things equally but they weren't willing to give more to the people among them with more need yeah if that makes sense yeah like i said maybe something else happened off camera maybe maybe spoon cleaned up the bathroom squid probably would not have but spoon seems to be one of the more tender ones of the group well we know what spoon did later uh but we'll get to that very soon but we meet a kid his name is steve hey what's your name it seems like a very nothing scene, but there's a reason why they show Steve. Not everyone can crash at Darius's apartment all the time. Some of these kids are just straight up homeless. What do you do? You squat in abandoned buildings often. A story is told of several people squatting in a building and they share something called a squat. They call it a squat can. And the squat can catches on fire and there's a squat fire. No, it's a squat candle. They take a can and drip a bunch of wax in it and put a wick in it. It's a type of candle, but apparently it's a little more unstable. Tipped over and caught something on fire. But Steve was in the squat fire and he was so drunk he didn't wake up. And he had his dog with him too. Unfortunately, Steve died in this fire. So at the tail end of this movie, we're dealing with these kids dealing with the death of Steve. Yeah, but- I'm looking up a squat candle right now and you make an X and a loose spiral of, oh yeah, you put a loose spiral of cardboard just slightly short in the height of a metal can. You drip molten wax all over the cardboard so it gets partially absorbed and coats most of it, then slide the cardboard into the can and fill in the gaps with small pieces of wax. Once there's some wax in it, you can light the cardboard and aggressively feed the squat candle wax wax chunks until it gets a good reservoir on the bottom when using it it's good to feed it from time to time and but even an unfed a decent squat candle will burn for hours any non-chimney indoor fire bad yeah i mean there's cardboard involved here i'm fortunate enough in my life to have not been in a squatter scenario so it's it's kind of hard to imagine but it's it's fucking dangerous it's the the entire life is fucking dangerous and so the movie pretty much ends on that tragedy brutal man that we told you this is the sad one this the third decline is the sad one and squid who we see throughout the movie we are told at the very end died in 1997 not long after this footage was shot by multiple stab wounds stabbed by his girlfriend spoon and i had to do a little research it was kind of hard to find some stuff this is all alleged too because i obviously i wasn't there right all those years ago squid was apparently fixing another punk girl's hair and she got mad and stabbed him a bunch but she was acquitted of the charges there was some serious domestic abuse going on in the relationship as well i mean this is very common in scenarios of addiction that these things can spiral into violent scenarios but spoon was acquitted i guess they successfully painted to the jury that squid and he probably was was actually a very abusive person there was that that scene before stevie died in the squat fire squid was losing his shit because a skinhead came over to the squat Mm -hmm. and was hitting on spoon so i i wondered i wondered if it had anything to do with that whenever if that was one of the situations that kind of escalated if that makes sense maybe Uh, it's, it's hard to say but squid dies by spoon's hand we know that spoon killed squid 
it. Self-defense or what? Not sure, but multiple stab wounds. And that's that's a very personal... Yeah, that wasn't an accident. And that pretty much does that. Uh, there's a few other updates. I think most kids... There's no information on whether the kid with the M tattoo, whatever happened to him, Hamburger would pass away in 2000. His buddy Troll is apparently out and about still to this day. That's right. Yeah, I was, I was looking up some of the... Actually, my friend who was with me was looking up some stuff. And he said they were outside of a venue. They were looking for... I guess directions they were in the neighborhood mm -hmm. some dude came up to the car then they went inside they started hanging out with him it turns out it was troll so word of mouth is troll was around for a bit I hear troll still living that life out there I'm glad he's alive and eyeball I hear is doing all right apparently, apparently any updates on any of the bands in this movie I don't care good on them for their message but I don't care they seem like fine people but yeah this movie quickly is like this can't be about the bands it's about the kids no it absolutely can't and i'm glad they didn't make it about the bands it was the music was groundbreaking back in the late 70s early 80s and whatever dogmatized form it took in the 80s it's not groundbreaking anymore it's no. not new what was interesting was the way these kids had to live they clearly had it worse than the people in well probably the first two declines combined the punk aspects that can live on or i think a lot of it comes from other countries the countries that, that deal with their own level of totalitarianism the chinese government the the internet is very much censored and repressed there that means that flyers and paper shit like old school like diy stuff is actually very yeah. prevalent in a lot of the big cities there there's a lot of great mexican punk out there that's fan fucking tastic there was the siberian scene under the uh under the soviet union that lasted well into the late 80s early 90s and you're seeing afro punk just gradually grow and grow more and the influence of that affecting multiple genres of music and i think punk is can still be very much alive but just maybe not you know the angry white kids their story's been told we know that story we were those kids this genre still touches people from time to time. And you can see with, you know, a lot of these angry white kids in Decline 3 that, you know, they're still fucking poor. A lot of the issues that led to punk becoming a thing in the first place, alienation, getting the shit beat out of you, hating the LA cops, yep. it's still around. I mean, yeah, it's become a lot more mainstream. you pretty sure you had Warp Tour at that point. That had already existed. Yeah, you I think it had just Day. started. Yeah, yeah. You had Blink-182. Oh, that was big at the time. It was big, and it was probably the worst year musically the worst era musically for punk rock but man after grunge flopped it was music got so bad i mean grunge is kind of overrated in and of itself but yeah. after that popular music was just like Ugh. but johnny that brings that closes out our series on penelope spears's decline of western civilization with part three now johnny we don't rate things on a star rating scale let those posers going to see green day at the warp tour let them deal with stars you know what we're gonna go watch cool bands herzog approved bands like the resistance and um, green the naked aggression i don't remember the others I really don't care. Just just move on. And Droll It, the Dread Mullet. And that was Litmus Green. Bands like Come Hair. <laughs> no, we rate things in a Hertzog rating scale.
You're going to give this movie one through five Herzogs. I'm going to give this movie one through five Herzogs. Then we're going to combine them for best out of ten Herzogs. Johnny, what would you rate this movie, The Decline of Western Civilization Part 3 by Penelope Spheres? I'm afraid to rate it too high because I tend to do that when I like a documentary. I'm like, oh, this is the best thing ever. It's awesome. But honestly, Decline 1 was groundbreaking. Decline 2 was an amazing documentary about a shitty subject which turned into something beautiful. Decline three was way more poignant than the first two. In a way. So I'd say she, uh, Penelope Spheris found a way to keep each of her documentaries unique. So I believe it is not any less important than the first two. Mm-hmm. I loved how she had a relationship with them. She was interviewing with them. She was interviewing them without inserting herself into the documentary. I became way more attached to the characters in this one than I did in the first two. So I would have to give it, I hate to do this again, I'd give it a four. Four Herzogs. I really did like this a lot too. This was the one that I'd seen the least of too. So it was very fresh for me to sit and watch this movie. And yeah, it is the sad one, but I liked how Penelope still was able to tie it in. All these movies have this theme. Uh, in Decline 1, Darby Crash is making breakfast. and uh, Or his lady friend who hates painters. Uh, no, not at all. Because I hate painters. And then in the second one, Ozzy's making breakfast. Boiling water for no apparent reason. That's right. And this he one... also frying bacon. Yeah. And in this one, uh, her future boyfriend Eyeball was uh, cooking some food. I want to know more about that relationship. But the tone shifted, and even though things were sad, you could tell that she cared about this stuff. But there's something about this one that came off a little more personable. And it wasn't even without its funny moments when they're out there panhandling and being smart asses. I was, oh, la- God. I was laughing. They're, these are some funny and clever kids who have that burden of knowing, like I said. They see the things coming unglued and it's hard to deal with that so you just end up becoming addicted you can tell that penelope really was hoping if anything that this movie would bring awareness to the plight of homeless youth and the dangers that these kids live with could very well be the most important in the decline series the sincerity really brings a charm to it so i'm gonna match you buddy four herzogs take your four herzogs you take my four herzogs and that combines eight out of ten herzogs first one got a nine 9.25 the second one got an 8.75 and the third gets a solid 8 out of 10 Herzogs nothing under an 8 for any of the decline of western civilization movies you know I've watched all three of them twice now I'm gonna watch them quite a few more times I, yeah I don't think this will be the last time I see any of these movies and having to do them I'm on all the episodes so I've had They're also fresh on my mind. When we make ourselves talk about these movies, it's really sparked something inside me where I was really into film a lot in late high school and college and stuff and wanting to watch a lot of art films. I feel that coming back Mm. from doing this podcast because I've always loved documentaries. I'm going to keep doing it, but I'm getting like real curious about the aspects of film and why it's important. And it's really, it's really interesting. I'm I'm having a lot of fun doing this, and I'm doing everything in my power to make it better, and we're going to keep going, folks. Okay, are we going to make a Lou Reed documentary eventually? We got to make a Lou Reed documentary. Okay. But Johnny, that's it. Eight out of ten for The Decline of Western Civilization Part 3. Johnny, thanks for wrapping up the Decline series with me. Of course. I hope you stay sweet and have a great summer. You are too cool to be forgotten. Hey, hey. Was that that Lucinda Williams song? No, I'm not familiar. Okay. Well, we can move on. Keep on docking. Was that Toby from The Office? (laughs) 
<laughs> I can't there remember. There was that one redhead guy that looked like Toby from The Office. Oh man, I wish I, I wish I knew who you're talking about. I can't picture Toby. Toby. Oh man, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna look this guy up. You go ahead and. Uh, <laughs> you, we gotta know. We have to. We absolutely have to know. So Toby from The Office. Did you find a picture? He drinks a shit ton. No, I did not. I am so sorry. Just just pretend you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Man, I'm still trying to find the character so I can show you Toby from The Office. I feel like we're jumping around a little bit. Yeah, it's uh, all right. Good, 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 good. Shut the fuck up, squid! <laughs> oh, dude, Toby from The Office. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know his name. He looks friendly. He he actually seemed like a very sweet dude. Wow, what a journey. I am, I am jumping around quite a bit what right a, now. That, we, you took us on that long journey that no one can see that picture you just put up <laughs> on a podcast. <laughs> that was just for you, Bobby. <laughs> Swing! Swing!